For AZPM, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, are tribes like the Navajo Nation being represented in the development of hydropower projects in Northeast Arizona? A preview of the Oro Valley Festival of the Arts and the holiday tree lighting. In the first of a new series of audio dramas written by Alejandro Canelos, a young man with a troubled love life discovers there are six ways to get bit by a rattlesnake. And a new song by Gabrielle Pietrangelo. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. There's been an increase in hydropower projects across the U.S., including on tribal reservations. But some advocates say tribes like the Navajo Nation aren't being included in the conversation over their development. As Chris Clements of KSJD reports, that includes a recent proposal for three new projects in northeastern Arizona. Percy Deal, a member of the Navajo Nation, is looking up at a pale stripe of sandstone that stands out against the rim of Black Mesa. Juniper trees speckle the steep cliffsides facing the site of a proposed hydropower project. All you have to do is look around here and this is a, a very beautiful land. Deal is a community liaison for the Navajo nonprofit Tonejonane, which works to protect water sources in the region. He and other Black Mesa residents are worried that the project could do damage to land that has ecological and cultural significance to both the Navajo and Hopi tribes. The hydropower company Nature and People First applied for federal permits last year to investigate the possibility of building three pumped water storage projects on and below Black Mesa to generate electricity for nearby cities like Phoenix and Tucson. Deal says the company and its CEO, Denis Payer, haven't done enough to involve nearby communities. It, it seems like from his perspective, his project is going to improve what's here. but but. His project is going to destroy what's here. In July, environmental groups filed resolutions with federal regulators from 18 Navajo chapter houses and agencies that oppose the projects. They're concerned about the potential overuse of groundwater underneath Black Mesa, which is still reeling from the environmental consequences of decades of extractive coal strip mining. Pumped water storage projects like this one generate energy by letting water flow downhill from high elevation reservoirs through a tunnel, turning a turbine as it travels to reservoirs at lower elevations. Then, when energy prices are low, water is pumped back uphill, forming a closed-loop system that stores and releases power like a battery. Denny Payer is CEO of Nature and People First. There's a huge need in the Southwest for uh, pump storage solutions to help deal with the intermittence of renewable energies. Not everyone in the region is in opposition to the projects. Paul Madsen is president of the Chilchimbido chapter, one of the communities where the reservoirs would be located. Chilchimbido doesn't have a um, any kind of a economic uh, stand, so we have to start developing something to develop an um, economy for the nation, to also develop an investment, invest into the water industry. Madsen says the projects could provide much-needed jobs during and after their construction and improve infrastructure in the area. Heather Tanana says it appears Nature and People First didn't involve some of the communities who would be impacted by the project from the beginning. She's a Navajo citizen and an attorney who specializes in water policy in the West. It's kind of like an afterthought. And we have a long history of tribal communities being an afterthought in energy development. Tanana says there's a legacy of tribal communities in the Colorado River Basin being left out of conversations about water that they often have a legal right to use. 
For Deal, the importance of preserving the flora and fauna of Black Mesa and the water underneath it is the bottom line. You take something that's very precious to a group of population up here to do something for another population that is hundreds of miles away to to give them the energy and you know there, there there's no balance in that absolutely none even if nature and people first is granted permits the company says they're still at least seven years away from finishing construction i'm chris clements in cortez colorado that story is part of ongoing coverage of water in the west produced by ksjd distributed by kunc and supported by the walton family foundation ACPM has launched a new show on PBS Channel 6 highlighting local arts and cultural events. It's called State of the Arts, hosted by Lauren Roth, the concertmaster for the Tucson Symphony Orchestra. Next, Lauren visits Catalyst, the Southern Arizona Arts Alliance creative space, to learn more about a gathering in Oro Valley that's become an important part of the way that many celebrate the holidays. The Oro Valley Festival of the Arts and Holiday Tree Lighting Celebration has been a Southern Arizona staple for the last 13 years. The festival is known for its one-of-a-kind seasonal items, handcraft goods, and holiday cheer. With crowds of 30,000 people and with over 125 artisans, the two-day festival is one of the largest holiday arts celebrations. This year, visitors can expect local performances, food trucks, family art activities, and even a visit from Santa himself. Joining me now is Matt Rowland, who's the Director of Programs at the Southern Arizona Arts and Cultural Alliance. Thanks for speaking with me today, yeah. Matt. Thanks for being here, Lauren. Tell me a little bit about where we find ourselves. I believe this is called Catalyst. And what is this room about in this space? How does it tie into the Oral Valley Festival of the Arts and Holiday Tree Celebration? So Catalyst, this is our, our home base here. We're in Tucson Mall. Uh, we moved here in 2019, but SACA, as we all call our organization, we started in Oral Valley as the Greater Oral Valley Arts Council. And it's been our pleasure and privilege to partner with the town uh, for many years now to present a holiday festival and a tree lighting festival. Um, and so we get to move our operations from here up to Oro Valley that first week in December and set up shop. Great, tell me a little bit about what we will find when we go. Well, the festival, if you haven't been, it's, it's a great time, a great weekend to shop for holiday gifts, to meet artists from all over the Southwest and just to ring in the holidays. We have a, a main stage performance with over 300 performers that come. So it features community choirs, uh, youth ensembles, professional jazz ensembles. Uh, it's a really great mix of live music, 150 artisans. Um, so they're spread out throughout the Oral Valley Marketplace. And you can find a little bit of everything, fine art painting, sculpture, uh, ornaments, holiday gifts, kind of the whole price range. Um, and you get to meet the artist face-to-face, one-on-one. It's all the artists there that make the work. Uh, and so on top of all of that, lots of kids' activities and fun family activities too. What do you think makes this Festival of the Arts um, unique and sort of what does it bring to the community? 
What strikes me is how many different parts of the community come together at this event. So we have the, the safety community, we have the Golden Ranch Fire um, Department, the Oro Valley Police Department, they come out, we present a parade, the high schools are involved, so Ironwood Ridge comes out with their marching band, and the Santa procession comes out. But we also have the Oro Valley Youth Council, the Parks and Recreation, um, a lot of different community groups are all coming together to celebrate the holidays, ring in the holidays, and of course, it's all to support the artists and, and uh, give them a good weekend. I hear that there is something called Tuba Christmas. Yeah, this is the only place in Arizona you can hear Tuba Christmas, and it's a, it's a nationwide gathering, and it meets every year at the Oro Valley Holiday Festival of the Arts. Over 80 tubas and euphonium players come together. It's led by a U of A uh, music professor, so you can sign up online if you search Tuba Christmas, if you play tuba, if you play euphonium, um, you can register and then they'll give you the rehearsal site and then you show up and learn the music and you get to play along. Um, what is one of your favorite parts about the Oral Valley Festival of the Arts and Holiday Tree Celebration? For me, I love seeing the live performances. Uh, I mean, the visual arts are always amazing. Best artists, artisans you can see anywhere. Uh, but we have a lot of different performances spread throughout the festival. So we have Red Herring Puppets does a free holiday puppet show on Saturday. We have uh, some performance artists from Studio Create come. They have a Winter Wonderland photo backdrop, so you can meet the live performer, take a photo with them. Uh, we have uh, the Oral Valley Youth Council. They do games and arts and crafts activities there. So there's a lot of hands-on, unique performances you only see one time, and they're really, they're designed to be in that place. Thank you so much for speaking with me today about this. We all look forward to that first weekend in December. Yeah, I'll see you there. The Oral Valley Festival of the Arts and Holiday Tree Lighting Celebration will be held Saturday and Sunday, December 2nd and 3rd at the Oral Valley Marketplace. Admission is completely free, so bring all your friends and family. To catch more episodes of State of the Arts, that's arts spelled with a Z, visit the webpage at azpm.org. It seems I've long embraced grief as an ally in my life, soothing the many losses along the way. Those are the words of Rick Waymer from the preface to his poetry collection, Long Shadow Days, Grief Walking. Here is Rick Waymer reading a poem about unexpected companionship. This poem is called Vivian. What a kit, this cat. Comes fully assembled some parts disposable, hairball regurgitation the least desirable, white mittens rise, paws coloring to gray striped leggings, pursed white triangle snout Cheshire grin in profile. What a kit this cat, piece of work, expectant 5 a.m. muse, demanding she is for her pre-dawn fet. Chasing my tracks to bedroom, no effort leap, head first curl onto her side, stretched out body awaiting massage. <laughs> 
What a kit, this cat. Orphan upon the steps, our newly purchased home. Interloper, now resident. Vertical glistening eyes hide her sly device. Give just enough to seduce. Claim her title, entitled. What a kit this cat comes fully assembled. No part disposable. Hairball regurgitation. Now deigned tolerable. That was Rick Wehmer reading Vivian from his collection, Long Shadow Days, Grief Walking. Have you got 10 minutes? Then we've got a story for you. And now the first in a new series of audio plays called 10-Minute Dramas. Six Ways to Get Bit by a Rattlesnake by Alejandro Canelos. Character List Mike, a young man. Borchers, a young man around Mike's age. Three maraca players and Snake, a rubber rattlesnake. Setting, the Sonoran Desert. Scene 1. Lights up on three maraca players standing casually at stage left. The maracas are down at their sides. In front of maraca players is Snake. Mike enters stage right. He's walking slowly, head turned halfway around to talk to Borchers, who's just entered. Both men are wearing day packs. I think she's already seeing someone, but when I ask her, she denies it. Anyway, it shouldn't matter. I've moved on. So has she, apparently. Oof, that sucks. What makes you think she's... Did somebody tell you? Nope. Nobody told me anything. Mike is nearing Morocco players who seem to be unaware. Did she post something? No, nothing like that. I haven't actually seen any evidence, but I don't need to. I know her. Mike steps on Snake and loses his balance. Morocco players shake their instruments furiously. Mike jumps back from Snake and falls down. Borchers turns and runs back to stage right. Mike crawls a few feet and rolls over on his back, holding his leg. Morocco players go silent. I just got bit by a rattlesnake! Lights down. Scene 2. Lights up on Snake and Maraca players in their same positions at stage left. Maraca players appear relaxed. This time, Borchers enters first from stage right, followed by Mike. They're walking slowly and talking. Did she post something? No, nothing like that. I haven't seen any actual evidence, but I don't need to. I know her. I've known her for a long time. Yeah, you have. It happened a few times early on, and I could always tell, even over the phone. I can't explain it. Sorry, man. You know, there was one thing. Could be a clue. You said there was no evidence. Borchers walks past Snake. Maraca players spring to attention. Now Mike is approaching Snake. Yeah, well, she sent me a text message that wasn't meant for me, but I... Maraca players play! Mike leaps away from Snake and then grabs his right shin. He hops around on his good leg, trying to stay upright. Maraca players go silent. Mike falls onto his side. Dude, you okay? I just got bit by a rattlesnake. Lights down. Scene 3. Lights up. Mike and Borchers are standing together at stage right, looking across the stage at Snake and Maraca players. 
Maraca players are poised and ready. Yeah, well, she sent me a text message that wasn't meant for me, but I don't know how to interpret it. Borchers points at Snake. We should go around. It's telling us to go around. Give him a minute. Did you hear what I just said? Y yeah, you got a text from her phone, but you think it was meant for who? Whom? I can read it to you, or better, I'll show it to you. Mike slides off his day pack and pulls a phone from an outer pocket. I'll be curious to hear your opinion. Sure, let's see it. Mike gives the phone to Borchers. Borchers stares at the screen, shaking his head. I don't know, man. What does she mean by embracing the wedge? Yeah, that's the line. I have no idea. Did you ask her? No, I, I didn't want to put her on the spot or let her know this happened. Know what I mean? She could already have seen it in her history. <laughs> Not her. She can't even... Anyway, I'm pretty sure it's somebody I know. Why else would she keep it a secret? Borchers shrugs his shoulders and points at Snake. Doesn't look like that thing wants to move. Let's go around. We have to help him off the trail. He's a hazard to other hikers. You help it off the trail. Right after I go around? Seriously? Mike sees a stick at his feet and picks it up. Let's throw dirt at it. Uh, no, I want to give him a nudge. Man, watch out! Mike goes over with a stick and lightly pokes Snake. Maraca players play. Mike drops the stick and jumps back, ripping his right hand with his left. I just got bit by a rattlesnake! Maraca players go silent. Lights down. Scene four. Lights up. Mike and Borchers are at center stage. A large piece of cardboard is on the ground nearby. Maraca players are standing on the far side of the cardboard at ease. I'm pretty sure it's somebody I know. Why else would she keep it a secret? Borchers shrugs his shoulders. He makes cautious eye contact with Mike and then looks away. What? Do you know something? No, man. No. I, I was just thinking how the whole situation is a real bummer. Mike points at the cardboard. You really won't help me carry this out. It's an eyesore. No, man. It's much closer to the other trailhead. One of those people can do it. Fine. I'll do it myself. Mike leans over and lifts up one side of the cardboard, exposing Snake. Maraca players play. Both Mike and Borchers jump back. Mike falls onto his rear and grabs his left ankle with both hands. I just got bit by a rattlesnake! Maraca players go silent. Lights down. Scene 5. Lights up. Mike and Borchers are standing four paces apart. Snake is at Mike's feet. Maraca players are close enough for Mike to touch, but totally listless. Don't do that, man. It might not really be dead. Of course he's dead. Look at him. If you come a little closer... No way. What a monster. I'll take a photo, but no closer than this. That'll be perfect. Here goes. Uh, okay, not quite yet. Cool, let's skip it. That thing might stink when you move it. I want a picture of me holding this fat snake to show whoever's stabbing me in the back not to mess with me. Borchers nods. I'm finding out who my friends are. Borchers doesn't respond. Are you ready? Borchers holds up the phone. Yeah, ready. Mike bends down to pick up Snake. Maraca players lift their instruments. The very tip of the tail. Mike jumps back, clutching his forearm. What happened? Uh, I just got bit by a rattlesnake. Lights down. Scene 6. Lights up on Mike and Borchers sitting in chairs at center stage, facing the audience. They're side by side as though in a car. 
Mike is driving with an open beer can between his legs. Borchers is in the passenger seat holding a beer. Maraca players are standing directly behind, ready to play. Snake is beneath Mike's seat. I just wish if it were somebody who knew me, they'd let me know. Mike takes a hand off the wheel to pick up his beer. He takes a swig and puts it down. I can see that. Borchers takes a gulp. Seriously, though. Borchers is looking at the floor. I hope that rattlesnake isn't alive and running around back there. No way. He's deader than a doornail. What does that mean? Do you even know what a doornail is? It's a figure of speech. Never mind. You closed up the bag, right? I tied it, yeah. There is no way a dead snake is getting out of that bag. I'm surprised it doesn't smell. He's fresh. That's why this is such an awesome opportunity! They drink and drive in silence until... All right, man. Fessing up is the right thing to do. I've been seeing Leonora. I'm the one. Mike doesn't respond. He stares at the road ahead. I guess I should have told you. Mike continues to stare at the road. Well, maybe you can tell me what embracing the wedge means. Maraca players play. Mike is stomping and flailing. Holy! Borchers is scrunched into a ball. Ah! Hey, don't let go of the wheel! Mike continues to stomp and flail. He's yelling unintelligibly. Borchers reaches for the wheel but hesitates. He looks up. Oh, no! Mike looks up, puts his hands out in a defensive posture and screams. The stage goes black. Morocco players go silent. The end. You just heard Zach Austin as Mike, Patrick Burke as Borchers, and Betsy Cruz Craig as the director. Six Ways to Get Bit by a Rattlesnake was written and adapted for radio by Alejandro Canelos from his book, 10-Minute Dramas for the Stage. Listen for more coming soon on Arizona Spotlight. Now we close the show with a new single by Gabrielle Pietrangelo. It's from her album that's releasing next spring called Back to the Heart, and it's a love song called Tucson.
That was Gabrielle Pietrangelo and her song Tucson, featuring trumpet by Jacob Valenzuela and drums by John Convertino. There will be a video premiere party on Tuesday, December 5th at the Century Room. You can find all the information at gabriellepietrangelo.com. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show is a production of AZPM. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The assistant producer is Leah Britton. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.